Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 49. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to Precision Hydration for sponsoring the show. You can find them on precisionhydration.com and check out their electrolyte products that help you get hydrated and stay hydrated. And this is the final call to action for the August only promo with getting your entire order for 20% cheaper with the promo code thattriathlonshow20. You can also, as usual, use the promo code thattriathlonshow, all caps, if you are a first-time user and you can try your first box or tube for free. Precision Hydration recently teamed up with Training Peaks to create an in-depth course on hydration, and it's called the Science of Endurance Hydration. And uh, for athletes, but especially for coaches, I would highly, highly recommend getting this course. I'm currently going through the content, and it is really well done. And as you would expect from Precision Hydration, based on uh, if you've heard Andy Blow in the past on the show, you know that uh, he's really good with the science, but also uh, with uh, boiling it down to practical pieces of advice that uh, that are good takeaway points that we can actually apply in training and racing and the course does a great job of capturing both of those sides of things the the science but also the practical application big thank you as well to roca that you can find on roca.com this episode's contribution in the Details Matter campaign, uh, which uh, Roca is running right now to draw attention to the fact that their products are so well-developed, well-designed, and they have tons of small details that make a big difference. And uh, the contribution here is from Tim at Email Design, who writes about the Barton sunglasses that I really like that you can customize the fit with interchangeable nose pads. Plus, they are so light that I often forget I have them on. I worn them during multiple long runs, a wedding, and all of my kids' sporting events. Check out Roka's sunglasses, normal glasses, and other eyewear options, as well as, of course, their wetsuits, tri-suits, swimskins, goggles, etc. on roka.com and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. So this week's first question is from Victor in France, in France, who writes, uh, Hi, Michael. Once again, thanks for a brilliant show and all the motivation uh, both you personally and your guests give me. I live in the French Alps at uh, 1,850 meters above sea level. So for American listeners, that's about 6,000 feet. And my training is being made at all different altitudes. My FTP and heart rate differs a lot between sea level and where I live. And I wonder what would be best for me. I wonder what would be the best for me to know at what zones I should train. Inside on the trainer at 1,850 meters, I do my workouts at an FTP of 270 watts. But at sea level last season, I was more around 315 watts. Do you recommend that I do FTP tests at different altitudes to get it exact? Or is there any quote-unquote formula to calculate it? I assume every person reacts differently to this. Please let me know what your thoughts are. So thank you, Victor, for your question. There are indeed some some equations and a link to a summary article on Training Peaks blog that talks about them. But do note that these are models, which is useful, but they're only models, so your mileage may vary. 
And I think that uh, some validation has been done, but uh, nothing super extensive with uh, a very large data set. So, so bear that in mind. Uh, the first one is uh, compared com- is called comparing cycling world record world hour records, nineteen six from nineteen sixty seven to nineteen ninety six, modeling with empirical data. It's from Bassett and colleagues. And the second is from Pernay and colleagues, which is called a theoretical analysis of the effect of altitude on running performance. So they were actually looking at runners, but you can translate that to just aerobic capacity in general. So it's still useful and uh, the models are slightly different, but uh, not massively so. The Bassett model has the advantage that it has uh, it has two different equations, essentially. One for if you are actually acclimated and one for when you're not acclimated to, to the altitude. So the shorter story is, uh, for you, 1850 meters or 6000 feet. That means that according to both sets of equations, your performance is reduced to about 93% of sea level at that altitude. This would assume that you are acclimated as, as just discussed in the, uh, Bassett model, which has the two, two different options. So, so let's call it 93% according to, to the models. Uh, just to give you a rough idea, if you go up 900 meters higher, uh, so, or 3000 feet higher, and we, we assume here that you're still, uh, acclimated, which is probably an incorrect assumption to make, but, uh, or it is, but, but let's go for it. Then your performance would be, depending on which model you look at, it would be 86% of your sea level performance or 88%. Uh, so if we look at your FTP, your 270 watt FTP at that 1850 meters or 6,000 feet, that would be equivalent to uh, 290 watts at sea level and 253 watts at 2,750 meters. So going up those 900 extra meters that we just talked about. Uh, if we assume that you would take the, the middle ground there between the two different equations and use 87% for that second altitude correction factor, so that higher altitude correction factor. But you're absolutely right. People do react differently, which is uh, why maybe you can use these numbers as starting points, but at the end of the day, you'll just have to see what you are capable of at different altitudes there's no absolutely no point trying desperately to hit whatever number a formula says you should be able to hit if your body is clearly not able to do that. There's absolutely no point doing that. And uh, considering your uh, the, the numbers that you've found through your own training of being able to do sea level workouts at an FTP close to 315 watts, that means that when you're doing FTP level, when your FTP is 270 watts at 1850 meters, that's... Uh, that's 86% of your sea level performance, which is way below what is expected according to the models. So according to the models, you are performing as if you are living at or you are training at 3000 meters of altitude rather than 1850 meters of altitude. Or again, if we convert that to feet, that would be uh, as if you're living at 9000 feet or even 10,000 feet. I can't remember and I didn't note that down between nine and 10,000 feet compared to living at 6,000 feet of altitude. So uh, so maybe you are somebody who loses more at altitude or your body doesn't quite acclimate to altitude like others do. There is a more recent study that is not a model, but it's uh, based on measurements of 11 elite cyclists. And by the way, in the ter- terms of altitude, there are 
plenty of other studies as well. It has been studied uh, quite a lot. So, and, and most studies at the end of the day, they converge to sort of similar uh, patterns. So, so we're just scratching the surface here. But based on that, that recent study, which, uh, which I found uh, quite, uh, quite interesting was based on 11 elite cyclists. And it found that the power output for 10 minutes drops by around 8% when they were at between 1,000 to 2,000 meters compared to sea level. And it drops by 14% when they are, are at between 2,000 to 3,000 meters. So again, even if we look past the models and look at actual measured data of performance, it seems that uh, that you clearly uh, suffer more than than most do when at altitude in terms of uh, performance loss. So so that's something to to bear in mind here. By the way, that study that I just mentioned is called "Impact of Altitude on Power Output During Cycling Stage Racing." Uh, but to get to your question, this is all a background for your question, and uh, I, I I don't think that you need to do separate FTP tests. Especially not if the reason that you ride at varying altitudes is that your rides just take you from high to low to high and so forth. In that sort of dynamic riding, uh, if you then then it makes no sense to adapt to FTP. You're just going to use RPE more and perhaps heart rate more. Uh, but uh, if you are in a situation where perhaps you're living at sea level during the week and only living at altitude during the weekends or something like that, in a situation like that, and, and and by the way, in that situation, I assume that you're training at pretty much a set, a constant altitude. So maybe doing indoor training at sea level or at altitude. In that case, uh, it might make more sense. It would be more specific to do two different FT, FTP tests compared to if uh, you're doing a lot of very dynamic up and down uh, high and low altitude uh, riding. Uh, so So that depends a bit on your situation. I, I will say, even in the former case, if uh, you are doing, like the reason that you're asking is that you are doing a lot of riding that goes up and down, up and down, it could be interesting for you to calibrate your power decline at altitude against sea level just once. This is not something that I mean that you should do continuously to keep your training zones updated or anything like that, but doing it once to get a feel for how much percentage of performance you actually lose when you're going from sea level to your 1850 meters of altitude. And uh, this will sort of confirm what you're already feeling when doing your workouts based on RPE. And, uh, and an FTP test is a good option to do that. You could do another duration for a test, but with an FTP test, uh, it's uh, the, the good thing about that is that it's not going to be very confounded due to anaerobic contribution. It's going to be mostly aerobic. So, so if you do an FTP test, within a week or so at altitude and then at sea level, and you note the percent difference in power output, you can then use that as your personal correction factor going forward. So you never need to do double tests again, just test at one specific altitude and calculate roughly what your FTP should be at the other. And uh, and that's it, then then you're set. So, so perhaps that would be my recommendation to do this sort of calibration test once. And then from there on, you can just test at sea level or at altitude and apply the percentage correction to that test to get your different training zones. Because it does seem that the formulas will not work very well for you based on the uh, what you have been feeling in your workouts and having that much of a gap in your FTP between altitude and sea level. But my final point here, uh, even if you do this, at the end of the day, you still need to 
adjust based on RPE if your workouts feel too hard or too easy. Learn to trust that RPE and use power as a tool in the toolbox and uh, you're going to be fine. Hope that this helps. The next question is uh, from Paul who writes, Hi Michael, quite often I get a minus value in training peaks for my aerobic decoupling metric. Uh, PW colon HR for those that aren't familiar with aerobic de- decoupling you can see that in your uh, training peaks workout files in Hawaii last year I had an aerobic decoupling value of minus 4.9 percent on the bike I understand the metric and its importance but cannot find any reference to a minus value can you help please love your work excellent podcast and I can't wait to get started on my training plan so thank you for your question Paul and uh, I will start this by uh, just uh, briefly explaining aerobic decoupling for listeners that may not be familiar with that. And aerobic decoupling, as I commented, is uh, noted uh, PW, so power colon HR, power to heart rate. And it is based on a second metric that is called the efficiency factor or EF. And the de- definitions of uh, of these metrics are as follows. I'm reading directly here from the Training Peaks uh, website. Efficiency factor EF is the ratio of normalized power to heart rate. An increase in this value for steady state aerobic endurance rides may indicate an improvement in aerobic fitness. So if you can go at a higher power for the same heart rate or at a lower heart rate for the same power, that means that you're more uh, you're more aerobically fit so that makes sense all very clear and now the definitions for aerobic definition for aerobic decoupling is as follows aerobic decoupling compares the efficiency factor from the first half of an activity to the second half a smaller change in efficiency factor that means less than five percent from the first half to the second half may indicate improving aerobic endurance so if uh, we have a small change in efficiency factor and a change is usually a smaller efficiency factor, so you become less effective in that second half of a workout uh, since you tire. Uh, so maybe your power stays the same, but your heart rate goes up or your heart rate stays the same, but your power goes down. Uh, that, uh, that gives you a difference between the efficiency factors from the two halves. But if the difference is uh, less than 5%, so a positive 5%, that means that the aerobic decoupling is still considered small and uh, and that's considered a, a sign of good aerobic endurance. If it's large, if it's 10%, so uh, so the EF for the first half would be, uh, for example, 10% higher than the EF for the second half, that would give us an aerobic decoupling of 10%. And uh, that's an indication that maybe we're lacking aerobic endurance at least for for that activity and it may be that if you're going for an eight hour ride and you've only ever done three hour rides that that's not necessarily an indication that you're not aerobically fit it just means that it was an extreme uh, scenario for you that you were not prepared for either way that's uh, a bit beside the point but uh, but just to put it simply if you keep a steady power or specifically normalized power from your first to the second half of your workout or race but your heart rate increases significantly uh, then this can be seen as uh, a positive, a larger positive percentage value in your aerobic decoupling, for example, 10%. But uh, when you see a very small change in, 
in that uh, efficiency factor. So your heart rate doesn't increase significantly. It maybe increases a little bit, but not much. Then that change will be in the region of uh, of one uh, to five percent or zero to five percent. So that is a good thing when you get that uh, percentage number down. Uh, but we need to keep in mind that there are a lot of confounding variables here with this metric. First, it needs to be a steady state exercise endurance intensity. So, so nothing super hard about uh, nothing above threshold for sure. And uh, temperature increases or other changes in conditions will definitely have an impact because they have an impact on heart rate and uh, potentially on power as well. Hydration and nutrition as well during extended exercise, especially or racing, will have a big impact. So those are just some of the confounding variables. So this metric, it really needs to be used with great care, as with most metrics. Uh, but uh, but you really need to make absolutely sure that you use it in the right context and account for any confounding variables. So now to answer the question of why you're seeing a negative value. Well, I can't answer that for sure, but there are certain scenarios where this might happen. And uh, some of them include, for example, in a race, your heart rate may be way higher than normal at the beginning of, a, of the bike leg due to the swim that you just did. And also maybe due to the fact that you might have taken caffeine before the race. And then after some time on the bike, you might uh, get your heart rate to stabilize at a lower level and uh, your power remains steady. And that will then lead to a negative aerobic decoupling. So, so it's really the confounding factors there are the swim and the caffeine that, uh, that can be big confounding factors in a race situation as well. So actually personally, I don't, I do glance at this metric, but I don't tend to give it too much credence really in race situations because I, I just think that there's a lot going on there that, that can impact it. Uh, another option is that it's possible that due to either pacing or nutrition errors that you just run out of steam in the second half of a race. So your power may drop due to having a too high a power in the first half or because you haven't taken, taken enough energy. And what may happen is that you get a drop in heart rate that is proportionally greater than the drop in power, and that will lead to a negative aerobic decoupling. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced this at a practical level, for example, at the end of a long and hard ride, when you really emptied the tank for some reason, maybe it was a group ride, and your power may at the end of the ride be capped at a low level, so maybe you can't really get above zone three for more than a couple of minutes at a time because you're really just just done. But your heart rate seems even more capped and you struggle to even get it past zone two. I should point out that for this to happen, you generally need to be well hydrated because if you're not, if you're dehydrated, then your heart rate will still rise pretty easily, even at very modest powers. But going back to this phenomenon of why the heart rate might drop proportionally more than the power uh, due to pacing or nutrition, uh, just not enough nutrition energy or too hard pacing, too aggressive pacing. I don't know exactly why this phenomenon occurs. Uh, I would guess it has to do with a combination of factors related to fatigue at, uh, at the muscle cell level, possibly the types of, of muscle fibers involved. So you may have fatigued a lo lot of your oxidative muscle fibers and uh, are now using a larger proportion of non-oxidative fast twitch fiber. This is just speculation on my part, but regardless of what the reason is, it does happen that your heart rate might drop more than you than your drop in power when you when you get uh, to that point when when you're really done you're you're really uh, you've put in a hard effort and you you don't feel that you have any any energy left 
so so on that note the thing you can do to train to avoid this or at least push the moment when this happens push the limit for this further forward is to do long rides of course but also to do strength endurance rides so so moderate intensity low cadence high torque work it's pretty intuitive actually as uh, when this sort of situation happens when you feel that uh, that uh, your power drops and your heart rate drops even more it's that your muscles give in not your cardiovascular fitness so so it makes sense that sort of the, the strength endurance type of training is uh, what can work quite well to not eliminate this from happening but uh, pushing the limit for when it happens so uh, i hope that this helps you paul to summarize uh, Consider whether your heart rate at the beginning of the race was just artificially inflated due to the swim or caffeine. If it was not, consider your pacing and your nutrition and hydration, especially nutrition. Did you have enough energy or might that have been an issue that uh, you dropped power, but you dropped heart rate even more as uh, your muscles ran out of steam, so to say? That can also, that can be uh, due to pacing or nutrition or a combination. And uh, and also think about whether you perhaps just in general could use a little bit more strength endurance training that I described just a moment ago and uh, and whether that could help you, again, push the limit for when when you get to this point when, when heart rate might, might drop more than power. So without having seen your file, uh, I can't say much more, but there are a few scenarios where this happens and, uh, and I hope that these ideas can help you uh, help you get uh, get some more insight into why this happens for you. So that's a wrap for today. And uh, again, I want to thank everybody who has been rating and leaving reviews. And also, of course, everybody, I get a lot of emails and uh, and a lot of you mentioned that you're always telling your friends and telling your, your family and your, uh, your teammates about the podcast. That's absolutely amazing. I can't thank you enough for that because that's uh, that's really is the best way to spread the podcast. So so definitely keep doing that. I I am massively grateful for that. I'm going to le- read a review here. This is uh, from Kiwi Cyclist in New Zealand who writes a must listen five stars. Even if you are only semi-serious about triathlon, swimming, running or cycling, then this is a must listen for you. There are great guests and fantastic fact-based tips and information that will help you perform better. It would be foolish to miss out. So thank you. It's great to see the podcast is spreading to New Zealand. Actually, the download numbers over there are very low considering that triathlon is such a popular sport uh, in your country. And the same actually goes for Australia. Considering the size of the population and the size of triathlon in Australia, I think that only a fraction of triathletes that are also podcast listeners in your corner of the world have found that triathlon show yet. But I'm sure that we can change that with time and with the help of uh, those of you who are listening. So keep reading and reviewing and keep spreading the word. And uh, I'm really grateful for, for your help. Big thank you to our sponsors, firstly, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test and uh, get your personalized hydration strategy for your next race. And remember that uh, this is the last chance until the end of August to get 20% off your entire order of electrolytes with the promo code show 20 If you are a new user and you don't want to buy in bulk, then you can just give it a try for free. So try one box or tube of electrolytes with the promo code DEATTRIFLONSHOW, all on word, all caps. 
And thank you to Roka for sponsoring the podcast. You can find wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear, sunglasses, and uh, normal prescription glasses on their website. They're all super high quality. The details matter. And that's why they're used by some of the best athletes in the world, whether it's triathlon or other sports like cycling, running, uh, etc. Use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order on roca.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.